is from 1 Peter, chapter 3, and is on page 1219 of the Church Bibles and page 1922 of the Large Print Bibles. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 8. Suffering for doing good. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and it is and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Brenda, Annika, thank you so much. We're very grateful for all that, all that you do. Let's just pray before we come to God's word. Father, would you 
through your Holy Spirit, set Christ apart in our hearts again as we come to your living word. For we ask this in his name. Amen. I don't know if any of you saw the television news this morning, but if you did, <coughs> you might have seen Donald Trump and our Prime Minister walking together, apparently arm in arm. Did you notice that? <coughs> and uh, at one point, he appears to reach out to her and, and to hold on to her. And there was an explanation this morning, apparently Donald Trump has a particular phobia, I can't quite remember what it's called, but it's a phobia the way he is concerned about walking downstairs, and it's, it can really upset him, it can really phase him, and uh, so he reaches out, he reached out to Teresa's, I thought it was a wonderful picture, there's the reality millionaire, billionaire, He's just become the most powerful man in the world, reaching out for support to an Anglican. Yes! <laughs> and it's very relevant too, actually, because it reminds me, we had a verse last week, didn't we, in 2 Peter, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Hmm. <laughs> so we're carrying, <coughs> we're carrying on in our, in our series, continuing our big family series, looking at 1 Peter... <coughs> Peter's two epistles, whether actually written by the apostle himself or by a close follower, they are addressed to churches in, first, in the first century, established what we would now know as uh, northern Turkey. And both epistles draw quite a lot on the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, which would have been familiar to the Jewish Christians, the exiles of the dispersia, but these churches also had a fair sprinkling of Gentiles who'd never heard the word of God before. <clears throat> and that's why the epistle is written to encourage and instruct them in the art of holy living. But the one thing that these fellowships did have in common was that their Christian lifestyle was radically different to that of the pagan societies around them. So the writer knows from experience that they'll be facing hostility, slander, and discrimination, even if it wasn't happening already. <clears throat> and there are five themes of doctrine and practice that thread right across the epistle. They are, thank you, Tanji, they are new birth, new birth in Christ that gives a living hope, especially to those facing persecution, New conduct, because Christ suffered unjustly for us. New behavior, a call to new behavior to demonstrate the grace of God to an unbelieving world. New responsibilities as the family of God to stand together as living stones, to reach out an arm to support those who are stumbling. And new vision, despite any present adversities, to hold fast to the eternal inheritance that doesn't spoil or fade. <clears throat> Last week, Janie opened up chapter 2 for us, and she, said, she shared some great analogies of how to be living stones for Christ as his chosen people. I'm sure you can remember all five of her pithy points, can't you? Hands up for those who can remember. Don Watts, where are you? Don, come on. Don, I, I, had, I had coffee with Don on Friday and he reeled all five off. I was really impressed with that. 
But let me just run over them again quickly for you. Point one, don't bring your skanky old armchair into your new Christian life. Remember that one? Point two, don't buff up your hair like one of Bodicea's warriors and try to do it on your own strength. Instead, get your shields together and linked together like Roman troops. Remember that one? Point, a third point, flaunt your Christian ID card. Let people know that you're a Christian. Point four, be prepared for hostile water cannons from the opposition. Remember that one. And point five, keep your temple batteries charged up with God's indwelling Holy Spirit. And there's a key verse from chapter two that locks all this together. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honour the king. Well, that's the NIV. I think actually the NRSV has got a better translation. It says, honour everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. So let's move on into chapter 3, verses 8 to 22, which Brenda read so nicely for us. Well, in verses 8 to 12, Peter flashes, fleshes out the practical principles he's been writing about. And to develop his ideas, he constructs three thoughts around Psalm 34. <clears throat> In verse 8, he lists five characteristics for living the abundant Christian life. They are live in harmony, be sympathetic, show love for each other, be compassionate, and be humble. Now, it's significant that of these five virtues, only the Greek word for compassionate is found more than once in the New Testament. And it's significant. It actually only occurs a second time in Ephesians. So what Peter is doing here, he's, he's, he's using some very special language in order to urge his congregation to rid themselves of what he's talked about in chapter 2, which is deceitful speech. So this unique vocabulary highlights the importance of what's being written because it offers this practical guidance about how to avoid into falling into this trap of deceitful speech. It's another five-point plan. <clears throat> Live in harmony and unity with each other in love, compassion and humility, and then in verse 9, Peter develops another idea from Psalm 34, do not repay evil with evil. Turning from evil requires that there's no retaliation, just as Jesus taught. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, and you know the rest of the verse, of course, turn the other cheek also. So some, some really practical ideas, practical ideas about how to, how to give, how to deal in adversity. But now we come to Peter's third great thought on Psalm 34, verses 9 to 12. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with blessings. It is for this that you are called. <coughs> repay with blessings so that you might inherit a blessing. <coughs> Then he goes straight into quoting the psalm, verse 10, for those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Let them turn away from evil and to do good. 
let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is set against evil. So for those who desire life and desire to see good days, good days in this, in this context, good days are days when we know we are blessed by God. And the eyes and the ears of the Lord are figures of speech that emphasize God's watchfulness and his oversight and his careful attention to all our needs. But the central idea that Peter is conveying is to replay, repay, replay hostility with compassion, with sympathetic love, with humble kindness. Repay hostility. It was said of Archbishop Cranmer that the way to make him a lifelong friend was to do him a disservice. The way to make him a lifelong friend was to do him a disservice. <clears throat> in the Godfather 2 film, film, remember the Godfather films? In one of the later ones, the young Michael Corleone says something on fairly similar lines. He says, my father taught me, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Have you heard that? Have you heard that expression? Yeah. It's actually a mantra I've learned to use in my business life. It's wise to be friendly with your competitors. It's wise to be friendly with your competitors. Although, unlike the godfather, I've managed to draw the line at grotting and machine gunning so far, but <laughs> that's, maybe that will come. So the right response in the face of hostility or abuse, says Peter, results in blessing. Now, this is a key part of this verse, a key part of this passage, because this giving and receiving of blessings is emphasized throughout the first five verses. Repay any abuse you receive with a blessing, and as a result, you inherit a blessing from God. And then, when we stand up for what is right, God will also bless us again. Repaying with a blessing, well, the verb is active, something we have to do. But inheriting a blessing and receiving a blessing from God, well, they're passive verbs. And I think that gives us a bit of an insight into what blessings were all about for first century believers and what they should be about for us as well. And it's understanding the power of blessings that's one of the great gems from this passage. The root Hebrew word for blessing in the Old Testament is barakah, and it comes from the word ni. But although it's used over 400 times in the Bible, it rarely refers to the act of kneeling. It's much more to do with respect, showing respect, bowing or bending the knee. Now, we might say, well, that makes sense. Obviously, <coughs> the one who's receiving the blessing kneels down in humility. <coughs> but we'd be wrong. We'd be wrong because the... Oh, there's no gin in it this morning. Michael, um, we'd be wrong because the concept is actually more of God buying the knee. Did you know that? The concept really is actually of God buying the knee. 
I find that breathtaking. It's God showing us his servant heart. It's a God who longs to meet the needs of his broken world. As Luke said in Luke 22, I am amongst you as one who serves. And that's the, exactly the attitude we adopt when we bless others. An attitude of seeking to serve their best interests so that they may grow and flourish. So guys, a blessing doesn't just consist of nice words. It doesn't just consist of hopeful aspirations. It's much more direct than that. And what the Jews in those early churches scattered across Asia Minor knew, and what the Gentiles, by living in unity and harmony with their Jewish brothers and sisters, what they would come to know was that when a blessing is given, it is pronounced or received with divine authority. It is not prayed as a request. It's much, much more than that. It's much more powerful than that. In the Old Testament times, it was meant to endue the recipient with power for success, prosperity, and longevity. But it was meant to change life, lives, both in the present but also in the life to come. And you see, Peter's Jewish readers would have been familiar with the most famous blessing of all, the blessing prayer that God gave to Moses but told him to give to Aaron, the blessing to grow and benefit that new community of faith as they got ready to live in the land of promise and fulfillment. It's a prayer that has a long long history in the cycle of Jewish worship. It's a prayer we still use today as a benediction, asking for divine blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Numbers chapter 6. But interestingly, Numbers also goes on to say in verse 27, and this is quite interesting, so they shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. You see, the purpose of this great blessing is clear. It's to communicate the desire of God to invest in us, his people, with his name. Because the name of the Lord is tantamount to the Lord himself living amongst his peoples, meeting all their needs. In Judaism, it's known as the priest's prayer with the raising of hands because the priest keeps his fingers together in a special salute with a gap between the fingers to represent the word shin which means almighty God. Do you ever remember watching the Star Trek series? Did you watch Star Trek? Yeah? Do you remember Spock? Remember Spock? Remember the Vulcan salute? Live long and prosper. I haven't got the point years, but... Uh, but Leonard Nemroy, who played Spock, was actually Jewish, and that's why he used it. So these blessings in Peter's epistle are really powerful theology, and his, his Jewish readers would have known that. Now, interestingly enough, Peter's epistle is written in Greek, but as we know, there were plenty of Gentiles in these congregations, and they would have known nothing about God's blessings. So he uses a Greek word which means to speak 
well of somebody. The Greek word he uses mean, actually means to speak well of somebody. And in the first verse, he spells out just how to speak well of somebody, how to give and receive God's blessings. Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Because when we practice these five virtues, when we, as it says later in verse 9, replay, repay abuse with a blessing, then we can reasonably expect to also inherit a blessing. But there's a third element, as if that wasn't enough of a divine treat. When we actually stand up for what is right, even in the face of adversity, we receive an additional gift of God's blessing, a real example of the grace of God at work. Justice, God giving me what I deserve. Mercy is God giving me not all I deserve. And grace, God giving me what I don't deserve. As Martin Lloyd-Jones said, grace is that marvellous gift of God, which having delivered us from the curse of the law, enables us to keep it and to be righteous. Now, we may receive God's grace, his blessing in the here and now. We may not. It may be stored up for us for the future, for something for us to inherit in the kingdom to come. But it's the grace of God manifest through us, his elect on earth, only partners in a heavenly calling, as it says in Hebrews. That is what this passage is all about. Can you already see how those five themes of doctrine we talked about, new birth, new conduct, new behavior, new responsibilities, and new vision, can you see how they link up with the five practical themes of practice? Living together in harmony, being sympathetic, showing love and compassion for one another, and being humble. Don't you just love the way scripture hangs together like that? It's it's really exciting. And then verse 10. Verse 10 shows us how blessings fallen on behalf of God are the great key that unlocks the one thing everybody on earth aspires to, but so few obtain. What's the one thing everybody on earth aspires to, but so few obtain? It's the good life. Remember Frank Sinatra singing about the good life? No, I'm not going to sing it, Rosemary. (laughs) Rosemary's looking at me. I'm not going to sing it. Oh, the good life, full of fun, seems to be the ideal. Oh, the good life tries to hide all the sadness you feel. Tries to hide all the sadness you feel. The good life. I mean, that's quite poetic, isn't it? Do you remember the Peanuts cartoon strip? Who remembers the Peanuts strip? Can you remember any of the characters? Anybody remember any of the characters? Charlie Brown, yeah, one. Snoop is another one. Woodstock, somebody said, yeah. Who was the girl? Can I remember? The, Lucy, that's right. <clears throat> well, I don't know if you remember the, the, the Peanuts cartoon, but Charlie Brown and Lucy were always having a go at each other. And in one, one episode, just before Christmas, Lucy walks up to Charlie Brown and she says to him, Charlie Brown, since it's Christmas, I suggest we lay aside all our differences and be friends for this season of the year. Great stuff. 
And Charlie Brown says, that's a great idea, Lucy, but why does it have to be just at this time of year? Why can't we be friends all year long? And Lucy looked at him with that look that only Lucy can give and says, what are you, a fanatic or something? But it seems that Frank Schultz, the cartoonist, is saying that selfishness and animosity are always built into our DNA. It's the way life is, and there's nothing we can do about it. Remember Solomon? That's what he found out. He had it all. He, had, he was the richest and wisest man in the world. He had money, power, notoriety not to mention the harem, so I won't mention the harem. But in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, when he's come to the end of his life and he's looking back over the whole thing, he hates it all because he lived it for his own indulgence. So he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble came and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Boy, I wish someone had said that to me when I was younger. Because without unlocking the secrets of God's blessings, without knowing how to receive the blessing of God, the good life isn't anything this world can deliver. But contrary to what the world says, Peter is saying you can obtain the good life. And what's more, you can offer it to others. And what's more, you can offer it to others in the face of hostility, in the face of animosity, and in the face of ridicule. And that's what this passage is all about. When we lead the good life, when we practically lead the good life, we can show it to others too. And when we do, the great news is we're in for a divine blessing. Peter is offering them a theology of blessing which was going to mark these first century churches out from the pagan societies around them. And the great news is, guys, it's a theology of blessing that marks us out too. Something we can freely give to our town of Guildford. A theology that is the inspiration behind our love Guildford vision. And because this passage of Scripture is all about putting the good life into practice, sharing the hope we have with others and with blessing them, at the end of our service, Pete Chief is going to share some practical Love Guildford stuff with us. We can actually put it into action. Because as God's holy partners, even in the face of apathy and indifference, we can still show others how to unlock the secrets of the good life because it's a good life that will never rust or fade away. As God's holy partners, we can offer it as a blessing to others. And we do it when we display unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, showing a tender heart and a humble mind. Pretty well stuff you're all doing at the moment. So that, the great news is, however great the challenge, however much the adversity, however much we may be maligned, verse 15 onwards, we are ready through practical Christian living to give an account of the hope that lives in us. And we can do that, we're enabled to do that, because the Lord Jesus Christ is already sanctified in our hearts. Our consciences are clear, 
and they're clear for the resurrection power of our Saviour. And on top of that, we have the blessing of the indwelling Spirit. Armed with the knowledge that his eyes are ever watching our righteous acts, his ears are ever open to our prayers, that's all the spiritual resource we need to repay indifference, apathy and abuse with a blessing. Secure in turn in our own inheritance of blessing. Enable to enjoy the good life and share it with our town as we live in unity of spirit, with sympathy, in love for one another, showing our fellow townsfolk a tender heart and a humble mind. May it be so for the sake of our